Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by physical therapist and running specialist Blaise Dubois. Blaise has spent most of his career working with runners and has since become a leading expert in injury prevention as well as treatment of injuries in runners. We had a great conversation today about clinically how to work with runners, how to have that conversation on what appropriate training is, appropriate shoe wear, and really focusing on what is too much when we're talking about running. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you will find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Blaze, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Very good. It's very hot in Quebec City. How hot is it there? Today I run. Very cool. (laughs) Awesome. Always a good day when you get a run in. Yes. Well, I'm excited to get you on here because you have done a lot of work over the years in injury prevention and treatment in runners, both clinically and as a researcher. So I'm super excited to talk about that. But first, let's just get into your background a little bit. How did you get into doing this research and um, working with runners? So I was a runner since I'm very young. Uh, I remember my first jogging in Switzerland because I come from Switzerland initially. And uh, I immigrated in Canada when I was 10 years old. And I remember in Switzerland running a 7K when I was seven years old. And it was like, uh, I appreciate to be probably out of breath. I don't know. But um, I started running for fun. And uh, during my school, I just was a part of the team until the university. And, uh, and I ran cross country. I was an 800 runner. And I become so slow that I start to do uh, road running, like 5, 10K and marathon. And now I run just ultra trail. So, um, so I just, um, I'm passionate by running. And uh, because I was always injured when I was kids, um, I decided to go in physio. And I did my physio at Laval University. And um, after when I graduated 20 years ago, I start to be very old, 20 years ago, I immediately, the first year, half of my caseload was runners. So I developed an expertise with runners because all the runners was knowing me. And, um, and I start to give conference and I build a 3 course for health professionals. And uh, after I developed the running clinic uh, uh, website and uh, I have other people that join me like Jean-Francois Esculier and... Uh, and we developed the running clinic gradually, and now it's uh, we are we teach in 15 countries, and uh, we have uh, 23 teacher, and it start to be big. Yeah, <laughs> let's kind of dive into first the injuries you experienced as a runner. What sort of things did you go through as you were kind of figuring this all out? So when I was uh, was uh, I was young. Um, so your question is about me uh, when I develop injuries or. Yeah, what type of injuries did you experience? I don't remember exactly. I think that I developed like periostitis, uh, shin splint, and I developed uh, uh, one time I remember a low back problem but because I was going very fast downhill. And um, it was always the same reason. I just, I was a type A runner, so I was just uh, focusing on uh, I want to be good and I train hard and, uh, and I was just doing too much uh, too soon. And uh, probably my genetics was not as good to tolerate all this 
kind of stress and I was pushing a little bit too much. So uh, I developed some injuries because I was doing too much. And, um, and I remember that even like uh, uh, 14 years old, I remember that I was training for a marathon. I don't know. I have no idea why I decided one day to run a marathon. But I, I want to train more, so I was uh, increasing the distance, and I increased too fast, and uh, I developed some uh, injuries. Um, I remember shin splint. I remember a uh, knee problem one day, and I remember, too, that I have a, a low back pain. Okay. Genetic. So when we're looking at runners, what are you finding either in the research or clinically that's contributing to the majority of these running injuries that we're seeing frequently? Um, we don't have a lot of data uh, scientifically, but when you're a clinician and you question the runners that come see you because they have an injuries, 80% of the case, it's always the same thing. I change something about my training, 80% of the case. Uh, so really, it's just too soon, too fast, uh, too much. It's always that. Sometimes, people change another thing. I change my biomechanic, my technique. I change my shoes. I start to do a, a new exercise, a new, uh, I wear a, a new orthotics, or there is something new. You cannot be injured if there is, no, uh, there is nothing new. Sometimes the patient, the, the client, cannot tell you what's new or, or not, but there is always something new. You, you're not injured if there is not a, if we don't have a new thing in the system. But 80% of the case, the training. Too much, too soon, too much denivelation, too much speed, too much volume, too much compared to what you're used to. Mm -hmm. Makes yeah. sense. Absolutely, absolutely. When going on this kind of too much, too soon aspect, obviously we can be talking about distance, we can talk about speed, we can talk about a lot of different things. What conversations are you, you know, most times runners don't think it's too much. They are running five miles and then they just bump it up to 10 and they think that's fine. What kind of conversations are you having with these runners to help them understand how to pro progress properly? Again, scientifically, we don't have a lot of data. So I will give you an example. We speak about the 10% rules, like every week you can increase your volume by 10% since, uh, 1977 by Anderson and uh, there is many many studies since this guy that take the famous 10% and promote the 10% and now we have like four new study um, looking for what's happened if we have more variation or different way to increase and it seems that we cannot Scientifically, we cannot support, we cannot say that it's true that the 10% is the good rule. So we have no idea. Clinically, uh, for sure, we need to be gradual. Because if uh, we observe that when you're not gradual, when you change something and you go too fast, you increase your volume too fast, you will be injured. So when I give general talk, like lecture to general public, uh, I will speak about the 10% even if I know that scientifically is not strong. Just to tell people that they need to be gradual and uh, on the volume and on the intensity too. So um, um, I lost my idea, but uh, your question was <laughs> um, uh, clinically what I say to the patient, what I say to the client. 
you say client or patient in English? Either. I go either. either. Okay. So um, I have a runner that comes see me and I explain that they need to be gradual. Um, I will uh, sometimes give some cue about the total volume it can increase, like the 10%, or for some I will say for you it's just 5%, for you it's 20%, because when you start a new program, you will go faster, because 20% of 5K is nothing. 20% uh, of uh, 100K per week start to be a big deal. So we, we will adjust for sure. Um, but there is one rule that uh, is a lot more important. We call this the mechanical stress quantification gradual exposure so we can increase according to the symptom of the patient so if someone say i was running 5k and uh, i start to run 10k and i am injured i will say it's too much it's not too much because it's 10k it's too much because you're injured so i don't decide what's the best for you you cannot decide intellectually what's the best for you your body will tell you so the mechanical stress quantification uh, and the gradual exposure to the stress, it's the key thing. We need to look for symptoms. How do you feel? Uh, do you have some pain? And most of the injuries doesn't uh, appear suddenly like that and bang, you have a IT band syndrome. Uh, there is most of the time like a gradual um, uh, symptom that you can feel sometimes it's not so much but if you continue and you persist on an activity that is too much for your capacity you will be injured so for runners what I, I explain a lot more than the progression is how to listen your body to have the good progression so is it is the jog is painful during the jogging or the the training how do you feel after and when I say after, it's 24 hours for ten tendon. It's uh, up to two days for uh, uh, intra-articular swelling. Um, there is different sign like that. Like, uh, how do you feel the morning after? Do you have more morning stiffness? Like if you have like stiffness under the feet, that's a classic sign of a plantar fasciopathy. And uh, it's just if you have more than normally, it's because you did too much. So it's always following your symptom to know how to progress. And most high-level athletes do that. So they listen to their body and one day they are tired and uh, they feel that it's not the day for to do like uh, interval training and they slow down for the training this day or they have a new pain and they take one day off and they start jauntily after. So that's what we need to do. The, the thing it's more dangerous now is that you pick up a training plan on the web and you want to follow it very closely and it's not appropriate for your capacity to tolerate this amount of mechanical stress. That's such a great point is we do have, whether you're someone's working with a coach or they're working or they just find this program on the internet is the schedule says this is what they're supposed to do. And so we want to stick to that schedule rather than I'm tired today. I didn't get much sleep. I'm stressed worked, you know, I worked longer than normal, whatever it is, we don't adapt to the fact that we don't adapt our schedule or training because of all this stuff. It's just, okay, I need to run seven mile tempo run today. I'm going to go do it regardless that I feel like crap. Yeah. And it's, it's super important just to listen to our bodies in that sense. I agree.
I love that. I love the point that you all brought up as far as these injuries, you know, unless we turn an ankle, you know, something acute like that, most things do come on slowly. Most things start as just a little nagging ache that we ignore essentially just thinking it's going to go away. And two months later, it's not gone away and now we can barely run. And it is so important to listen to our bodies throughout this whole process. And, you know, we all get aches and pains here and there, but normally those clear up in a day or two on their own. It's these ones that last long-term that something needs to be addressed at that point. Yeah. You, you, you speak about something interesting. Um, I always, for fun, uh, compare the, the, our modern man to the caveman and to say that sometimes we do a lot of things wrong. The pain is a signal to tell you to stop. And the first thing we do, actually, when we have a pain somewhere is that we take pills and we continue to train. And that's the two things that is the worst thing you can do to develop a chronic problem. So taking pills and NSAIDs, uh, anti-inflammatory pills, uh, it's the best way to not repair, to not adapt your tissue to the stress. So someone that take uh, Advil, Motrin, and uh, ibuprofen, like uh, even over the counter, uh, very often because they have like some little pain, is the worst thing you can do to, uh, to, to, uh, to continue to progress. So, and the other thing is that when you have pain, is a signal that you need to, to slow down, to need to stop maybe one day, two days. And uh, the modern man is not stopping at this time. And one day he starts to have too much pain and he stops. And when he stops, he stops for too long also. The caveman have no choice to go back to activity because he needs to, to chase a prey, to go uh, uh, a prey, you say a prey or a yep, food, right. an animal <laughs> or something. He needs to eat, so he needs to move again. He cannot stay for one month at home by doing nothing. And, uh, and tissue are adaptable. And initially when there is pain, it means you did too much, you need to slow down. But when you slow down and you stop to run, it's some days. And after this, you need to move, to move again. And when you develop a chronic problem, doing nothing is always worse than moving on it. So we, we clear, clearly do all the opposite that probably what the caveman was doing. Like uh, too much initially, taking pills, doesn't listen the, um, the, the pain. And after this, because it's too painful, you stop. And you start a passive modality and you rest and you... Uh, and at this point, you have all the, the perfect recipe to degenerate your tissue and to become less and less and less tolerant. Well, then on top of that, too, a lot of times we find these runners are, you know, maybe they're resting for four weeks and then they return to running again, but they're attempting to run at their previous level rather yeah. than even backing it down. So then that's almost, it's this more too much right on top of that. Yeah, that's crazy. And about that is my, uh, when I speak with runners and he say, yeah, but I was running like one hour, to, uh, three weeks ago, one hour every day. So I can start by 20 minutes. And I say 20 minutes, it's 1,800 repetition of jump in each leg. It's a big exercise. Imagine you have a shoulder problem. I give you, a, I give you an exercise with an elastic and you do 1,800 reps. That's crazy. So 20 minutes of jogging, it's a lot. When you are in rehabilitation, 
it's a huge stress. You need to be very uh, gradual. Looking at the biomechanical aspects of a runner, how much do, does running technique and biomechanics play a role in these injuries? I think that is a very small piece of the puzzle. And I think that because scientists and clinicians love to speak about technique, uh, now it's crazy how we over-intellectualize the technique. And um, I think we need to be very careful with that. There is some, some one of the principal problem with technique is that we change our technique by what we wear in our feet, the, the modern shoes, that alter, like change the biomechanic for something that maybe we are not fully used to run. Like uh, genetically, uh, we can question if it's a really a good idea to have very slow cadence, heel strike with 20 degrees of, uh, th that's the average. 155 of cadence is the average of uh, recreation runners. 20 degrees of dorsiflexion when you land the, the heel is the average too for the recreation runners. And you have a huge vertical loading rate. Uh, the speed at which the impact force is applied on the ground. So that's the, the classic runner. And he run like that just because he has big bulky shoes. So one of the, the problem we have actually, even if it's a small piece of the puzzle, uh, the thing is that we probably alter, change the way we run by this interference between the foot and the ground. And, um, and the problem is that more your you're big, you're fat, you're heavy, more you will have cushioning and technology and stuff. And uh, it's probably one of the factors that can increase risk of injuries. Even if it's a small piece of the puzzle compared to the mechanical stress quantification we just spoke before. So if you tell me about what I think about technique, I think first we over-intellectualize what we need to do. Scientists are very lost about the link between technique and pathologies. We have, uh, like we focused during many years on pronation. We focus now on the nivalgus. We focus on the glute weakness uh, about the biomechanic again and its effect on biomechanic. And I think we are completely wrong. I think we have no idea actually. And I think that pronation is not linked with pathology. Nivalgus is not linked with pathologies. Uh, if there is link, is more correlation than causation. Um, conclusion, there is like the macro biomechanic that I address with my runner more, like make smaller step, increase cadence. Mm -hmm. That's for me one of the things that, uh, that increase impact moderating behavior. You will run more uh, soft, more light, and hope that we will be, you will be able to decrease the risk of injuries with that. We have some evidence that yes, but it's not very strong evidence, but that's the best evidence we have actually. But forget about pronation, nivalgus, alignment, just run. So increase cadence, do not uh, do too much noise, and wear shoes that don't interfere too much with the, the biomechanic. And for that, my recommendation for the beginner especially, it's to buy a shoes with a minimalist index of 70%. It means that is minimally minimalist to be sure that the interference is not interfering too much and that you heal strike with slow cadence and a bit huge impact force.
And if you're used to run in a way that is, for my eyes, not correct, you heel strike, you, you do big steps, you have big bulky shoes, but you're not injured, you run since long time, and you don't want to perform, don't change your habit. How soon, when you're dealing with an injured, injured runner, and we are talking about wanting to transition them to more of a minimalist shoe, how soon are you getting them transitioned um, in, in respect to them coming to see you? So if that's depending on many factors. So if you're used to, like you're a beginner, you run since two months, three months, and you start to have an injuries and you stop. And some weeks after you come see me and you, have a, you are a new client for me, I will change you right away for a minimalist shoes at 70% and more of minimalist index. So I don't speak about the five finger, especially when I speak about minimalist shoes. Minimalist shoes, the minimalist index is a continuum between the more minimalist shoes to the less minimalist shoes. So there is like, all type of different shoes uh, that we can uh, classify in this uh, uh, scale. So a beginner, for sure, it's immediately uh, a minimally shoes. He have a knee problem, immediately I go to minimally shoes. He have a foot problem and it's an acute foot problem. I don't want to go on the minimally shoes right away. He need more protection for some weeks because he have a problem. Uh, he have a chronic Achilles tendinopathy, I move to minimal issues. Uh, so there is a, the choice of the minimal issues or the maximal issues is, uh, it's according to many different factors. And uh, the age of the patient is one of the things that I, they tell me if I can go faster or I need to go slower. More you're young, more you're that fast. More you're older, more you, we need to be careful with uh, adaptation. You are a soccer player, basketball player. You are used to be on the forefoot all the time. You can move very fast on, on uh, minimal issues. Uh, you are a beginner. You can go faster than if you, you have a, a past experience of running, that, uh, a long past experience. So you run since 20 years with the same big bulky shoes, same type of shoes. You cannot move too quickly to uh, a minimal issues. And we have uh, some rules to, uh, to go in the minimal issues. It's one month grossly for each 10 to 20% of minimalist index of changes. So if you start with uh, Asic Nimbus, the classic shoes, or a Brooks Adrenaline, that's the shoes, the more sell in North America. Uh, they have a minimalist index between 10 and 20%. If you go to a 70% minimal issues, that means a racing flat, the shoes very small, like uh, type A uh, Soconi, or, uh, or you can go, if you want, to 100% like a five finger, but it will just take you more time, and you need to, to like the five finger. <laughs> they That's do take some question. getting <laughs> Some people don't like that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I still like... That's pretty much all I've run in for probably about 10 years. And I'll go to half marathons. People just be like, how do you run in those? I was like, I can't run anything else. <laughs> yeah. What's your shoes you run with? I run on road. I run five finger. On trail, I run in zeros. That's nice. Yeah. What's I've tried your... the five finger trail shoes, and they're just a little too thick that they give me blisters. Interesting. 
you know what? I'm running with a, uh, more 70% like innovate or minimal issues, but more 70%, you run with 100%. If I want to go run with five finger, um, I won't be able to run too much. After some K, my calf will start to be sore. And if I move too fast, I will develop like a foot problem because I am not used to. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm pretty sure that with your five finger, you have, even if you never learn, a perfect biomechanic. And when I say perfect biomechanic, is not I control your pronation, your knee valgus, etc. No, you have good impact moderating behavior with five finger. If you're used to run with this type of shoes, I'm pretty sure your cadence is pretty high. 180 plus minus 10. I'm pretty sure you don't heel strike too much. Or if you heel strike sometime, it's a light, subtle heel strike, heel strike. Or if not, you four foot strike. So probably the 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 impact moderating behavior, your technique is a lot better than any other people that wear the classic shoes that we sell everywhere uh, with a minimalist index of uh, 10 to 20%. Absolutely. I've, my cadence is right around 180 and I videoed my, I have video myself running and yeah, it's midfoot, midfoot strike. The heel does just kind of scrape the ground a little bit, but um, it was an experiment for me years ago. I was running, traditional shoes. I had orthotics because of knee pain and I was kind of experimenting on myself. Can I get to zero drop shoes and get rid of my knee pain? And I did. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And you develop foot pain. I never did. I transitioned into them properly. So I never got like, other than like, you know, a little bit of calf pain, yeah. um, just tightness. But other than that, like I never really got any pain or anything from it because I transitioned properly. Yeah, that's the key. There is a uh, many studies showing that for uh, transition to five finger in uh, 10, 12 weeks, we have uh, an increased uh, number of problem of the foot and uh, bone stress fracture, bone marrow edema, plantar fasciopathy, etc., cetera, uh, Achilles tendinopathy. But if you do a, a, trans, a long transition, and Fuller uh, did a nice study for six months, no more problem with uh, the transition. So all is a question of adaptation and transition. And now you did the, your transition, you have a biomechanic that is probably a lot more protective than you had before. And that, I think, for the long term of running, I think that for you, it's a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. When you're talking with your runners, especially maybe a newer runner who's a little bit heavier and they're adamant that they need cushioning in their shoes, what's the conversation you're having with them to explain why these thick cushion shoes aren't necessary? Yeah. Uh, first of all, there is, no, there is one study of Fuller uh, looking for um, uh, the... Um, uh, the weight versus the soreness when you transition to a minimal issues. And they observed that there is a little bit more uh, uh, soreness and injuries with um, bigger guys and girls, uh, someone more heavy. But there is like a, a little trick in the, um, in the statistic in the, in the study that make me not very confident of the results. Uh, they look for the visual analog scale with a, 
the, um, with a 10 millimeter of difference as a significant effect. I cannot explain in English very well. And normally we take 20. But the thing is that actually we don't have science showing that if you're big, heavy, you need more cushioning, first of all. But there is no coherence to, um, to, uh, to tell that to the patient too. More you are heavy, more you will need a good impact moderating behavior to protect your own body. So we need to develop, if you're very heavy, you need to develop a, a light biomechanic, especially because heavier people, like obese people, develop more knee osteoarthritis and have more knee problem than others. They don't have more ankle problem, but they have more knee problem. The best way to decrease the stress at the knee, it's to have a biomechanics that protect the knee by increasing at the same time the stress at the ankle and at the foot. So we need to know that if, if you run in five finger, you decrease the stress at your knee, but you increase the stress at your calf, Achilles tendon and foot. Uh, but you decrease the stress at the knee, the hip and the lower back. So for someone that is very heavy, uh, especially if he's a beginner, you start running, giving him a big bulky shoes will for sure make him uh, having a bad biomechanic. When I say bad biomechanic, I say with bad impact, impact moderating behavior. So he will develop like, he will heel strike, he will hit hard, he will do longer step just because we're giving a big bulk issues. So especially for people that are heavy, I recommend minimal issues. And I practice since 20 years. I recommend minimal issues since 18 years. I was prescribing minimal issues before we, we invent the word minimalist. <laughs> I was prescribing racing flats uh, to be sure that the people have not too much interference. And uh, I remember in the past, I was uh, prescribing uh, shoes of uh, 100 grams, three ounces, the um, Mizuno Wave Universe, very, very, very flat. Doesn't exist anymore, but it was a, a very good shoes for uh, running very fast. And I was prescribing this to my big guy that was uh, over 200 pounds. And, um, and that was the best way to develop good impact moderating behavior. So when someone say they need more cushioning, I, will, I won't go in an, uh, in an argument why they don't. I will just ask the quick question, why? And the problem is that they have the burden of proof to show that if they want to prescribe to a beginner a big bulk issues with more technology, with more cushioning, with more X, Y, etc., uh, they need to, they have the burden of proof to show that their intervention is safe and efficient to decrease injuries. And they cannot. We don't have data. Even the experience is not there clinically. Do you know how all this cushion and everything started years ago? Because you look at shoes, you know, decades ago, and they were basically racing flat look. And then all of a sudden, at some point, this cushion got put in shoes and it just kept getting worse. And I don't know if, and you might not know the answer, but I was wondering, just was curious if you knew like how that all happened. I think that, first of all, I think that it was to try to decrease injuries. And there is many, many researcher uh, that 
um, make the promotion indirectly and make studies to show that cushioning and the motion control shoes was uh, in the goal to decrease the injuries. There is a certain coherence around that. But since like, and we put cushioning, more cushioning in shoes since 1990, approximately. That was the, the shoes was become bigger, bigger, bigger from that time. And um, the initial goal was to decrease injuries. But since this time, we have many studies showing that cushioning and motion control shoes doesn't decrease injuries. And we have a lot of experience uh, knowing that we know actually that is more than 50% of runners that are injured every year and especially beginner. So, um, and we have some data showing that uh, cushioning doesn't decrease injuries, motion control too, uh, paying more for uh, uh, shoes is not protective too. Uh, you can have very cheap shoes, no, different, no difference. Um, uh, paying more is not more comfortable. So we don't know why we go there and we know why we go in bigger shoes, but we, why we stay in bigger shoes actually, well, I have no idea. I think that is a mix between marketing, false belief from the, 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 the people that look for more cushioning. I have any problem. I would like more cushioning. That's one of the things everybody say when they go in a, in a shoe shop. So, and uh, I think that now, actually, I think that making promotion for technology serve the company and that uh, they can sell their shoes uh, to higher price. That's, I think, the, th the reason why this false belief persists in the time. I would agree with that. The marketing that they do definitely plays a role on these beliefs still being there and and what, you know, shoes are being sold primarily in running stores, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if someone wants to, someone has questions for you, wants to reach out to you regarding minimal shoes, biomechanics, how to treat a patient that they're just struggling with, how can they get in touch with you or how can they find, find more information about what you do? Um, well, first of all, we have a website, therunningclinic.com, so they can find a lot of blog, uh, page about biomechanic, running shoes, what's the minimalist index, all the publication we did. Uh, it's a rich, uh, there is a lot, a lot of information. Second thing, if they are uh, healthcare or uh, coaches, they can follow the course we give around the world. We go everywhere in US, in Canada, in Europe, everywhere. So uh, they can, on the website, they can see uh, the course we give. And um, the other thing is that I just finished to write a book, a uh, 500-page book. Uh, it will be a very nice uh, uh, tools for runners and for trainer and health professional too. So they can, um, the, the book is uh, arriving in French uh, mid-August and uh, we still start translation after so in, so in some months i hope that the book will be available in english awesome yeah and i i won't do the translation don't worry <laughs> yeah. i would not want you to take the time to do that so uh yeah so it will be uh that will be a nice tools to um to uh to understand all the the, the thing about over medicalization mechanical stress quantification 
the shoes, the technique, the exercise. There is pro a running program inside the book. There is a, it's very complete. We speak about nutrition. We speak about all the consensus about hydration. Uh, that's a very interesting topic too. So, uh, and I have uh, 50 um, experts around the world, the best expert in the world about running uh, that uh, uh, write me a two page for this. So we have Lieberman, we have uh, Jill Cook in Australia, we have uh, all the best in the world make something in my book. So I'm very happy about that. That sounds really cool. I'm going to have to keep my eye out for the English version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's good pictures too, so I can send you if you want the French version, and you can just look the picture until the the English book is uh, coming. <laughs> there we go. That'll work. Awesome. Well, Blaze, thank you so much for your time today. Really do appreciate it. Welcome. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group. Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.